welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hi, my name is VJ. I am the lead pastor here at The Well. I'm also one of the teaching pastors here. Uh, the other teaching pastor is normally my wingman for this series, Dave Lombardo. You notice I'm flying solo today. And that's just because if you know Dave's stories, he's been sharing that with us. He's coming back from a leave and uh, moving back into preaching on a regular basis. But we just know there's times where he needs a break. And so that's what's happening today. Uh, so you're stuck with me. Um, but Dave and I, a couple months ago, when we sat down and talked about what the fall would look like, I, I was sharing with him and he was sort of resonating with this as saying, man, like I feel messed up by this season when it comes to my personal rhythms and my head, my mind spinning and my heart sort of feeling like up and down. There's weeks when I'm like, I am acing this pandemic. And there's other weeks where I just feel so disoriented and a bit lost. And I was thinking, you know, coming into the fall, I'm like, man, am I just, is my life and my sense of well-being and the order of my life, because I feel like that's been, uh, dis, there's been disorder, you know, and rhythms and all of that stuff, routines that have been disrupted. Is this just tied to, oh, well, we're waiting on a vaccine or the numbers, and so I'm going to ride the waves of the news cycle or when we get a vaccine, and I'm, in a sense, my life is on hold, and I'm sort of stuck here until all of that gets sorted out. Maybe you felt the same. Maybe you could feel like, yeah, I've been on hold. I've been stuck. Even if I haven't been in peril or sick or anything like that, it just feels like I'm stuck. There's a false start. Every day something changes. And for my part, I was like, I don't want to live like that this fall. And I mentioned that to Dave, and he's like, yeah, you know, this is my fight song, Take Back My Life song. He's not here to disagree with that. He loves pop music as well. And so that's what he said and sang. Uh, so we decided this fall uh, to call this series Reconnect because we said, look, this is actually about coming back to the things that are most important in our lives and maybe the things that have taken a hit that we can't afford them to keep taking a hit. Our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, like our, our mental and emotional, spiritual well-being, and our relationships with each other. And our premise, our contention is, that doesn't need to be tied to whatever's going on around us. We can actually move forward and reconnect in those relationships. And so that's kind of where we're going two weeks ago. Each week we're talking about uh, a different aspect of these things that are a part of um, what we're calling a rule of life. And I'll explain that in a moment, but four different aspects of um, reconnecting. And today we're talking about relationships specifically. Now, even as I say that, and as I said that, my mind went to something I saw on TV a little while ago. I want you to watch. Now, some of you watching that are like, oh, that's so nice. What a great feel. You know, wouldn't that be cool? Some of you are like, that's so cynical. They're using that to sell me stuff. So let's just step away from the commercial aspect of it. That video brings up something really important when it comes to relationships that's actually a bit of a barrier for us. And, and here's what I mean. We think that's how it's supposed to happen. Like, aren't relationships just supposed to happen? The beautiful moments, the love, the shared experience, the life together, the food. Like, isn't that just supposed to happen? Um, and in a sense, we kind of have a romantic notion about that. Um, now, I'm not saying um, that you should plan and try to plan to how to meet the love of your life. That's probably not a good plan if someone's trying to sell you on an Amazon, don't buy it. Or you're not going to structure your life in order to meet a best friend. I'm not talking about that. 
But for the relationships that you already have, we actually have to deal with the fact that we have this romantic, idealized notion that somehow deep, fulfilling, life-giving, loving relationships should just happen. And that would be nice, but they don't. They don't just happen. There's so many things in our life, in our culture, in our rhythms that actually work to keep us, as the old saying is, a mile wide and an inch deep. Or maybe if I can be more specific, you know, we are people who are connected, loosely connected to hundreds of people, but deeply meaningful connected to very few. Affiliated to many people, uh, you know, connected to very few. There's lots of things to actually work against our ability to have deep, meaningful relationships. They don't just happen. We actually need to plan for them. And I'm talking about the the most important relationships in your life, the ones you want to cultivate, of course, the ones with God, but also the, the flesh and blood people around you. It actually takes a plan, a structure to do that. And that's why we're, we're actually, we've got this trellis here that we've cut down from Dave's backyard. But we're saying, look, a trellis is a structure. This itself, it's not anything. It's not alive. It can be cut. It can be changed. But it's meant to give space for what is alive to thrive and to grow. And so we actually need a structure. And even when it comes to our relationships, because they don't just happen, but we need them to happen, we actually need a structure. And so that's one of the barriers we need to just address uh, up front. We t- even talking about having a plan or a rule of life that we're talking about to actually put together a plan for the relationships in your life. But then also the other barrier is this, when it comes to life with God, or we, we talked about this, this structure, this trellis, this rule of life that we're working through as being something that allows us to experience the love of God. We think, well, isn't life with God primarily private, internal, and non-material? You know, like it's between me and God. It's very private. Spirituality is a private thing. And, and it's internal. It has to do with feelings and thoughts and just kind of sensing God and, and things to do internally and non-material. It's spiritual as in not physical. And this is actually a barrier for us too. When it comes to like relationships, we think, well, how does this connect? How do flesh and blood relationships connect into a relationship with God? Because isn't God and my life with God primarily private? I don't share it. It's internal. It's more the level of feelings and thoughts. And it's non-material. It has nothing to do with sort of the touch and feel world. And there's lots of reasons why we think that. For some of us who grew up in sort of maybe Christian or call it evangelical traditions, this thing about I have decided to follow Jesus, it's a personal faith. You can choose and you go on your own and no matter what, you can, you, it's personal, you choose it, can actually sort of disconnect us or make it say, no, it's actually very private. And it's something that's only between us and God. We don't actually connect it to the flesh and blood world around us. Others of us, maybe, you know, as the, the air we're breathing is sort of the neo-Buddhist um, kind of new age sort of spirituality, which is actually to disconnect yourself. In order to have that kind of spirituality with God, you have to disconnect yourself from the world. And so meditation and all those techniques and stuff like that um, are meant to actually disconnect us from flesh and blood, disconnect us from the world. That's what true spirituality is. And so we have these barriers as we even come to this and think, well, how does, what does God have to do with flesh and blood relationships? But, but let me just kind of put this out to you for a moment. 
if you and the, the people you grew up with, the people you were exposed to growing up, the people you know in your life were people who seem to have a vibrant, dynamic experience of relationship with God such that they, they seem to be so aware of the love of God for them and the love of God flowed through them. And that was you, what you were exposed to, the kind of people you grew up with, the kind of people you hung around. At the very least, you're probably like, hey, I want what they have. <laughs> Or you've actually become a Jesus follower yourself because of those people, because of the flesh and blood relationships in your life. At the same, in the same way, if you were exposed to a group of either friends or family or relatives or whatever who were, you know, church people or religious people, but it was basically a lifeless, loveless, regimented, rule-oriented kind of spirituality that seemed to have very little love flowing into them and even less flowing out of them, chances are you said, thanks, but no thanks. You actually walked away from a relationship with God because of the relationships you had with people. And so our connection with God is so inextricably linked to the relationships we have in life. And if you think about this, this actually makes sense that that we realize, no, the meaningful relationships in my life, I want to have them. They don't just happen. Why can't they? And secondly, yes, so much of my life with God is affected and connected to flesh and blood relationships with people, which is why we're saying we need a trellis, we need a structure. And this rule of life that I've referenced a couple times is just a way, it's a trellis, a, a means of thinking about your life and actually having a little bit of a plan for how these relationships are going to thrive in your life. And so that's really what we're doing today. And, and, and I encourage you to continue to read into the blog and come to the seminar at the end of this month to actually work this out for yourself. What is my plan for relationships going to look like? This actually makes sense to us, not just empirically as you look at your own life, but it's actually because God is wired the same way for relationships. One of, if not the most distinct aspects of Christian spirituality, maybe the most distinct aspect of Christian spirituality, is that we understand that God at the center of our faith is a God in relationship. That the, the doctrine, the, the, to use a, sort of a theological word, of the Trinity is what is at the center of Christian faith. That is, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is one, but three persons. Now, there's so much mystery to that, um, and we're not going to get into all of that today. And it is kind of a mystery um, that can be, uh, you know, read and understood and tried to, to you know, grasp. But one of the things it says, it isn't so much about how does that work, but why does it matter? Because God is a God in relationship, and he, that is his nature, and he created us as human beings in his nature to crave and to be in relationship as well. Which is why it's no uh, accident that when Jesus, God in a bod, as we say, came to earth, so much of the descriptions of his life and the biographies are in relationships, but even more so, the way Jesus chose to save or redeem or heal the world was to actually start a community built around him called the church. And if you find, if you've, if you've read the New Testament before, the second half of the Bible, or if you never read it before, it begins with the four biographies of Jesus and then the biography of the church, the Jesus people, the community gathered around him. And so this thing about relationships is so embedded and tied to our understanding of faith. And the book of Acts actually described what is it like to have faith and relationship like that with God? What are these relationships meant to look like? And so I want you to listen now as Andrea Zoni from our King site reads to us a passage from the book of Acts describing what these relationships are meant to be like. So have a listen. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This passage in Acts is meant to act for us as a, as a sort of a summary statement of the very early days of the Jesus people, the church. And, and it's, it's a description of the kinds of relationships they had with one another. And it actually, in a sense, gives us a little bit of a plan, of a way forward. How do we do this? But it, it addresses actually the two assumptions that we have that I mentioned earlier about relationships, and it actually refutes them and, and gives us a different perspective on it. Um, first of all, like when you read the descriptions here of like um, people being together and eating meals together and, um, you know, kind of worshiping together and sharing, it's really a description of sharing uh, so many different aspects of life together and saying like this life with God is about flesh and blood relationships. It's in, inextricably connected to it. And you see descriptions of all of the things they shared. Um, they shared food, they shared space, um, they shared home, like their homes with each other. Um, they shared possessions, they shared finances, they shared meals regularly, they shared their lives, they shared God with each other. And, and it's this, you know, when you read it and just kind of step back and say, what kind of community is this describing? What kind of relationships? Relationships that both were receiving the love of God, you know, kind of from each other, and sharing the love of God. Um, relationships that where people were being served and they were serving. There was a mutuality, a back and forth, and not just kind of we're sharing good spiritual vibe, you know, like this was like a very practical, gritty, down to like bread and wine kind of sharing, like life together in each other's homes and regularly, repeatedly, there's a, the words like daily and often describe this kind of repeated community. And, and it's just a, it, like, you know, because it, it actually comes up against this whole idea of church or that relationship being a place you go. They, were, they weren't going to church. That's not what they were describing. In fact, um, there was no church. Some of them met in synagogues when the synagogues were sort of favorably disposed to them, but that ended up changing after a period of time. But most often, it was in each other's homes. And it was regularly so that meals were involved and God was involved in their conversation. And um, there was a, a, a giving and receiving. It says that people sold stuff so that other people could get what they needed. And there was, so there was an interdependence in this kind of community that really is about kind of sharing life together. And it makes you step back and you think, man, like this is actually a radical description of how relationships are, are, were working in the early church. And it's something we don't know much about. Like I, th I thought for a minute, imagine, you know, in the crisis that we're going through, if there was no EI and there was no CERB and there were no jobs coming back, well, what would happen? Well, in a church like this, in relationships like that, it meant people who had jobs or had homes or had stuff were using them to serve others, to house others, or selling stuff they had to, to put food on the table. For, so people who used to have a house don't have a house anymore. So that someone who didn't have a meal has food on the table. 
It was that kind of interdependence. And, and that can seem so radical for us, but let's just step back for a moment and say, forget about selling or liquidating possessions. It's a kind of mentality that says, what I have is meant to be shared with the people in life that need it. And, and all kinds of ways, not just sharing feelings or you know, ha- hearing a sermon together or something. There's this description of a holistic kind of community. It's seeing what I have to be used in the service of others in a mutual back and forth interdependent way. And here's the key. When you build your life and relationships around a God who gave himself away, this is what that community looks like, right? If that, if that is who is at the center of those relationships, the God who gave himself away, this is what the community begins to look like and it is incredibly attractive. It says people were adding to their number daily and coming to find life in Jesus through the flesh and blood relationships of the community gathered around Jesus. And so this is this first thing. It says it dispels this notion that our life with God is primarily private, internal, and non-material. So that is not at all what you read here. It was public. It was communal. It was not just internal, it was external, the way they were sharing the joy of God and being the people of God together. And it was physical, um, flesh and blood people, bread and wine food, like houses, homes, wood. This was spirituality that was very physical. It it just dispels this notion and said, no, to be with God is is, um, inevitably to be with people and have a community gathered around a God who gave himself away. It looks like this and it's attractive to other people. But the other really important feature in this passage, which addresses the other um, objection or, or assumption maybe we make about relationships, is this word devoted. It, it, devoted comes at the beginning in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to all of these things. And, and the Greek um, word that is used here, devoted, has a, has a few meanings, like to stay by, to persist at, to remain with, and to be loyal to. So there's both like sort of this idea of the the perseverance and a persistence, but also the relational remaining with and being loyal to. This word devoted is so important for us. And and it gets at this idea, this false assumption that we have that relationships should just happen. They don't just happen. We actually have to be devoted to them. We have to be committed to them. We have to have a persistence and a, um, a staying with um, the idea of what is, what is to be gained from this and a loyalty to and a remaining with the flesh and blood people in our lives. And so devotion is needed because it doesn't just happen. But devotion is also needed because it doesn't happen enough. It doesn't happen enough. Like you could read this passage and go, oh, see, like that's perfect. Like, oh, that's, that's a taste of heaven. That's a beautiful thing. Like maybe even like how you felt when you were watching that commercial. Like, oh, wouldn't that be nice? This is beautiful. And yet a couple of chapters later in this same community that looks so beautiful and so perfect, people are lying and dying. <laughs> it's a mess. And if you continue to read on in most of the New Testament letters that were written to various churches, you will find dysfunction, brokenness, and mess of some kind. And you can say, okay, well, which church do you want to be a part of? It actually just says, look, this is real. It's true. It's possible. It doesn't just happen and it doesn't happen enough. That's why you need to be devoted to it. 
because it comes and goes, it slips through your fingers. This is in a sense like a glimpse of a taste of heaven on earth. And maybe you've experienced that in some way, but then it seems to escape us so quickly. And we can have this idealized view of communion and say, oh, well, why aren't my friends like, why isn't my church like that? And maybe you've even gone through this season going, how come people aren't reaching out to me? Or how come it feels like I'm alone? Like you experience more of the brokenness of community than the beauty of it. And you think, oh, like that, I just need to move on. I need to move on from that friendship. I need to move on from that church. It's not the way I wanted it to be. See, we have such a temptation because we think this should happen, just should happen by itself, to idealize what relationships and communities should be like and feel like. And we mistake the glimpses of heaven on earth, let's say, because this is what the new creation and this is what heaven's going to be like, this beautiful interdependent sharing and enjoyment of each other and God and one that is both physical and internal and external and all this stuff. And we go, we mistake the glimpses for that should be the norm. That, that's how it should be all the time. And that's a very dangerous way to think. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is a, a Nazi Germany prison camp survivor, um, wrote a book called Life Together, and he addresses why uh, idealism as it relates to community is such a dangerous thing. Here's what he says. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself, so the idea of it rather than the flesh and blood community that's right in front of them, become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Saying we, we, we can have an idea and love the idea of what it could be instead of actually loving the flesh and blood community that's right in front of us. God hates this wishful dreaming. Here's why. Because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. I deserve this. I'm better than this. How come they're not doing what I need them to do? Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. His point is, is that in idealizing our relationships, our church family or community or what it's meant to be like, even if you're like just checking out a church or new community, is like taking a weight and placing it on that community, saying you need to be like this. And it's a weight that actually crushes the very community we're meant to grow in and grow in love with. He says we actually have to dispense of our idealisms and our dreams and actually learn to love the real flesh and blood community that's in front of us. We have to be devoted to community and persistent at it and remaining with the people, being loyal to the people in because it doesn't just happen and it doesn't happen enough. But the more we are devoted to it, the more it becomes a real possibility. And so this is what community is meant to be like, these glimpses. And there's risk involved. There's risk involved. I know some of you have experienced hurt in the close relationships of your life, in the church community you've been a part of because it has failed you. And I don't mean to say, oh, you shouldn't be hurt. Yes, that's an important, grieving, right, of the real losses and the real difficulty. And maybe it's made you want to stay back. Maybe it's made you less devoted because you're afraid of being hurt again. But the New Testament invitation, the invitation of Jesus who gave his life away and gathered a community around him is to say, come be devoted to something that I want to make a reality in your life and through your life. So for that reason, because this is so much about flesh and blood relationships, because this is something we need to be devoted to, 
one of the most practical ways we can be devoted to is to build a trellis for it, is to build a structure or what we're using, the rule of life, to actually have a little bucket in your life that describes and that is thought through what are the relationships in my life going to look like. And what I mean by this, we actually have a template on the blog that reconnect. Like I have a piece of paper that is my rule of life. I've taken a picture of it. It's on my phone and it has these four buckets in it, rest, prayer, relationships, and work. And I looked at the relationships bucket again this week. And as I looked at my plan that I did about a year ago, realized, oh, some of these things need to change. I need to tinker with it. Stuff changes. This isn't about having like a bulletproof plan. It's about actually though, putting pen to paper and saying, okay, how am I going to be devoted to the relationships in my life? And so as you're thinking through that, I want to give you just as we close here, a couple of practical ways to think about this on, on two levels, your relationships. Who are those relationships that where, through whom you are experiencing the love of God, like the love of God is flowing into you? These are people that when you hang around them, um, you want the life they have with God. Like you're like, man, I, I want that. Their character, maybe their joy, their passion. Not that they're perfect people or whatever, you know, shiny, happy people, whatever. It's not that. There's a realism about them, but there's a realism of their life with God too that you're like, when you hang around them, um, you think, I want that. And maybe you're someone who doesn't have a life with God and you're actually trying to figure that out. And you're like, oh, I need more of those people in my life. And you do. Or you're someone who, yeah, you're following Jesus, but like that person inspires you to love him and follow him more. So who are those people? People with whom you just feel you can be yourself with who pour the love of God. And maybe they don't know God, but God is using them to bless you as someone who is a blessing in your life. Those relationships, who are those, those inflows, those people that are strengthening you, that are helping you to become the person you want to be, that are safe people, that are trusted people, all that we need, you know, a part of our bucket and relationships need to list. Who are those people? What are, the, what are their names? Um, and then who are the people that you are meant to love, that you are called to love? that outflow, that love is meant to flow through you to them. Those should be in your relationship bucket as well. Now, ideally, you have a few names that are both. Like if you're married, hopefully your spouse can, is, or can become a relationship that is both one that is life-giving to you and one that you are blessing with the love of God. And so obviously if you're married, you have kids or whatever, those are meant to be those kinds of relationships. But looking at it saying, because some of us, you know, we have two extremes. Either we can be on like the dinner party end where we got lots of friends and we're hanging out with whatever, but they're not deep relationships. Um, Let me just say this. The hundreds of people you're connected to on social media are not changing your life. And, And maybe, can I say this? If they are, not for the better. Because even I'm reading a book with one of my sons and it says like even statistically for teens, the more they use social media, the more unhappy they are with their lives. So can I be honest? The hundreds of people that are your friends are not making your life better necessarily through that place. You actually need a few people that you have flesh and blood relationships with that are changing your life and you are changing theirs. That's what I'm talking about. Identifying those names. Who are those people that are feeding and fueling my life like that? And how do I grow in relationship? And how is my life and my love affecting them? And so that's what you need, kind of a a trellis to begin to actually figure that out. And so here's a couple questions for you, just as you think about, okay, how would I populate that bucket? Um, Whether whether you're a a kid or a young person or a student or an adult or whatever, young adult, or you say, oh no, I'm not a young adult at all. What is that bucket? There's never, it's never too late or too soon to actually start planning this out. And it's something you can change as you go, but it's beginning to say, I cannot just wait for these things to happen. I'm, I'm too loosely affiliated to too many things and too many people, but not deeply connected to anyone. And so here's some questions to think about in terms of the, who are those relationships, those inflows? Who in my life inspires me to follow Jesus more closely? 
whether you are a follower of Jesus or you're not, but you've been around people like that and you're like, I need that. In, in our church, we talk about, you need to have a few people in the journey who are a little bit ahead of you. So who are those people? Um, maybe you don't have those names. Um, maybe, you, maybe it's a question mark name. You're like, it might be this person. I, I feel like we've only connected a couple times, but it was really, I felt like I was with Jesus when I was with them. Maybe I could have more time with them. And if there's nobody, this is a, ch- a chance to start, God, can you bring somebody into my life who inspires me to follow you more closely? Which friend or friends energizes me and cares for me? Like when I'm with them, I feel inspired, I'm excited, and I feel like they really love me, <laughs> like they care for me, and they're not just taking stuff from me. Um, they ask me questions about my life. They know things about my life. Um, and maybe this, who is someone with whom I feel safe and can truly be myself? Who are those people? Again, you may have names. You may have names with a question mark. You may have no names, and that's where you can start praying. For that. So that's that kind of inflow bucket. And then the outflow, who are the people around me that I'm called to love and serve? Now, again, if you're married, uh, that is the one person in life that you have made a life commitment to. So that isn't like, oh, I'm just going to put their name down. It's like, no, no, their name's there, has to be. How am I going to be intentional about cultivating that relationship? You have not made a life commitment to your boss or to your best friend or to your mother. You have made a life commitment to your spouse if you're married. So that is priority. And children are part of that. That's priority. There may be others. If you're not married, you don't have kids that you've said, yeah, these are people, a small group that I have committed to. Um, but you could just keep adding lists and extended family and all that. And can I say like, maybe that's, maybe those aren't relationships that are actually life-giving for you or people you're called to love because just because you have family obligations doesn't mean you should be spending all kinds of time with them because you can't have hundreds of people on this list. Some of you working on the template, you're like, it's too small. Yes, that's the point. You can't fit a hundred names in there. It's a few. You have to pray about this. You say, oh, I'm going to feel bad about like I'm not spending. It's actually about being devoted, not kind of dabbling here and there. And so who are the people around me that I'm called to love? Is it a neighbor? Is it a friend? Is it a teammate? Is it a coworker? And again, it could be a name with a question mark. There's a couple of people in my buckets that are now, you know, I know they're there, but when I first started, I wrote them with a question mark. because so I was like, God, I don't know. Is this someone I'm called to love? I don't know. And for a period of time, it felt like, no, nothing's happening there. I mean, I'm, I'm available if they need me or whatever, but like all of a sudden something happened and suddenly realized, yes, this is someone, right? So maybe that question mark is there at first and you're just praying. It's the beginning of a conversation. It's not a plan set in stone. Who have you called me to love? And then lastly, what steps do I need to take to prioritize these relationships? Like be specific. So for example, in my bucket, my wife is obviously in that bucket. That's good to know, honey, you're there. Um, and one of the things, I don't just put Jen, say, okay, actually, I looked at the bucket this week, actually, and one of the things I wrote a year ago was, we need to be away for an overnight at least twice a year. Something happens when we're away, when we're away on our own, we just have time and we're not in our usual space and um, we just try to figure out how to do that. Some of you have young kids or you have kids and you've never been away with your spouse. You, that needs to be in your bucket. So we've wrote that down specifically because it means I actually have to plan for that. So that's not just her name. That's a plan around that. With each of my kids, I don't just write their names. I write something specific, a space or either something we do on a regular basis that is about my relationship with them. And I realized for what I wrote for all three of them in a year, that's changed. Some of it because of COVID or whatever. So I have to retool. I got to come back to that this week. That's my plan um, to do that and actually figure that out. For some of you, as you think about engaging with our church, 
Home groups is one of the things we're encouraging you to get connected in. And you may be in a home group that is like this acts to, it feels so life-giving and you're sharing life together. Truly you are. And it's been that way and it's been a dynamic, life-changing experience for you. Or others of you say, I'm in a home group. It's not been like that. It's okay. We're devoted. We're persistent. We're not just saying, oh, that's fine. No, we want more, but we're not gonna give up. And so even this season, as you're coming back to home group, maybe you want to j- sign up for one for the first time to be devoted. Maybe you need to have a come to Jesus conversation with your home group and say, guys, we're nothing like this. Like, how do we grow in this? How do we become more devoted to each other? Sharing truly life together. For others of you, the marriage course might be an opportunity to say, this is a specific step, seven weeks starting in the middle of October, uh, two hours once a week to invest in our relationship. We've never done that. Shouldn't marriage just happen? Shouldn't love just happen? Every movie tells you that's the case. It's not true. You need to invest. And then those of you that are youth, we have a youth group starting up again. And these are complicated times to try to figure out how we do this as home. I know we're trying to figure out COVID. It's harder than ever. It's more important than ever to be devoted to this to commit to it. And so I just encourage you to go on the blog and the blog is meant to help you take these thoughts, take these questions and work it out. We doubled the number of people who were on the blog last week, the week before, which is good, but there's still many of you that have not logged in. So I'm either assuming you've got this all figured out and I'm the only messed up one, or you haven't done it and you need to. You need this kind of a structure in your life. So take some time, go through the blog, and then come to the seminar next Sunday night. It's Zoom. You'll find the link online. And Dave and I are just going to be there to help you talk through as you're working out. We're both working it out too. Um, You know, there's lots of things written in pencil that we're erasing and trying again. It's there for you to try to figure this out. You know, I was thinking how in uh, this growth thing. We're talking about, this is about organic growth, right? A vine crawling up a trellis. There's no magic uh, to it. <laughs> um, but there is a miracle. You know, that somehow something small like a seed, something small like a step of faith, which actually feels like a bigger step of faith nowadays with the way things are, is given away, is sacrificed, is invested. And over time, something beautiful miraculously grows. That is the step of faith I'm inviting you to take. Now, as we close here, some of you said, hey, you didn't give a benediction last week. And like online, we don't feel like we get the benediction. If you've never been a part of our church, that's what we do. Every time we gather, we have a good word. That's what benediction means. And so I actually took the time to write one out for you and I want to read it for you today. And so here it is, listen up. In the midst of this disruption, this uncertainty and interruption, there is a chance for something new. So hear this benediction as a good word from our good God, because the Lord knows we need it. God who created the whole world out of darkness, emptiness, and chaos, where certainty and stability are all but lost, can fill the empty buckets of your life through the flesh and blood of real people who keep it real and make God real. May Jesus, through his flesh and blood body, the church, show you how loved you are and just how far you need to go to love like that. And let the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in the present tense, fill you with joy and hope so that the watching world struggling just to cope takes a second look at you, at him. And where our dreams of community have to die because they were too lofty, too high, so philosophized and idealized they can never be realized, Lord, let us down gently. 
and give us instead a reality of life with you through the ordinary, sinful, beautiful, but broken community, not dabbling in, but devoted to unity, where love flows into us and love flows out through us. Let the church say amen to that.